Welcome to the History Tricks, where any resemblance to a boring old history lesson is purely coincidental. Hello, it's Beckett. Welcome to another experiment. Let's call this an audio special feature. It's just me. Susan couldn't make it today, so let's see how we go with the servants of the Gilded Age. There was a complete spectrum of servant life around this time, from the poor, single, lonely, only servant maid of all work who worked from pre-dawn until after bedtime and was often, frankly, found dead asleep in the coal bin hole, who did all the work, to the servants of Blenheim, which there's 90 servants. So you can imagine, even though it's a bigger place, I think that perhaps the labor was debated more fairly. As you go up the scale, it definitely seems like a better life to me. Now, if you could think of a specialty, they probably existed, especially once you get up to that upper level. So, I mean, you've got things like gamekeepers for the country estates. You've got watermen whose sole job was to carry the water up and down the stairs or in later times, you know, use the lift and take the water upstairs for baths and everything. There were coal men. There were fountain men and Marie Antoinette's Versailles. There were dairy maids, always strapping young ladies, but most establishments did not have such specialties. And in fact, I'm not even going to talk about the rest of the outdoor servants, like gardeners, coachmen, grooms, etc. I just think let's leave those for another day or perhaps for a non-audio podcast. So what I'm going to concentrate on is your average millionaire lord's establishment that the Gilded Age heiresses may have come across as they came to their new husband's houses in England. Now, the servants had their own very strict hierarchy. Let's start with the upper servants. The butler, um, his name comes from the old French bouteilleur, which later produced the word, the modern French word, bouteille, which means bottle. Um, so he was in charge mostly of the wine at the beginning. The wine, the wine cellar, ordering, maintaining, and in fact, famously, many butlers were famous for the drinking of said wine. The list of drunken butlers in truth and fiction is very long indeed. He guarded the silver cabinet, in fact, often slept near or in the silver cabinet. He was the boss of all the servants, but the male ones in particular, and he was very close to the master of the house. He was in charge of basically anything that happens in front of the family members or in front of guests. So he's in charge of dinner, service at dinner, welcoming of guests, and then making sure everything goes smoothly at the front of the house. So he's like the maitre d'. Conversely, his counterpart in the back of house is the housekeeper. And honestly, I think this person had all the real work as far as I'm concerned. So and she's in charge of all the female servants, but not just in charge of their work. She was also in charge of their morals. Now, a lot of these girls came from the country Country servants preferred, probably not as streetwise, not as sassy, not as prone to talk back to you, but also they were far away from their families, and the housekeeper was often charged with keeping them on the straight and narrow. They came to her as early as 12 in our period, but slightly earlier they might have come as early as 8 years old, if you can imagine that. She's also got all the accounts to do. She orders all supplies. She's supposed to know where each and every person is at all times. She's in charge of repairs to the place, monitoring decorators, um, determining when things are worn out and need to be replaced. The list is infinite of what she was responsible for. 
She had great amounts of contact with the mistress of the house with regard to the way that the household should function. Now, we talked before about the importance and, honestly, the intricacies of all the food for special events. So the cook or the chef, if you were up there in social status, had a lot of responsibility for the way that the family appeared in public. But even when only the family was in residence, you had food to go to the family dinner, perhaps breakfast up on trays. You had to get some food to the nursery. There was the upper servant's dining room and the lower servant's dining room. And sometimes even the outside servants had their own dining room. And everyone ate something different. You see, there's all kinds of permutations and also light refreshments for callers. I mean, you were, you had a lot of things to do. So even when there were no guests, man, the chef, you know, if you had a chef, if you were lucky, was usually French and always volatile. I'll tell you what, I am married to a chef and you'd do anything to keep your chef too. So a lot of times you'd put up with a heck of a lot of bad behavior from a chef where you wouldn't put up with anything from anyone else. The cooks and the housekeepers uh, often were a little at odds because their spheres overlapped. You know, the housekeeper had charge of all the supplies and ordering them that the cook needed. But the cook needed to boss people around and be independent and have their own sphere, too. They even shared responsibility for a couple of different maids that we'll talk about later. So there was some opportunity for conflict in that area, too. And then we come to the valet, not valet, valet and lady's maid. There might be more than one. As a matter of fact, if there were grown children in the house or, you know, like Mrs. Astor and her son and her son's wife. So there might be more than one of these people in the house. They were responsible for maintaining clothing and dressing their person, guarding the jewelry, doing hair, honestly being a confidant, too. These people often became closer to their master or mistress than their own children just due to proximity. And these servants had the closest relationship with their family. And they were expected, honestly, to pass on servants' gossip but not let it go the other direction. So, I don't know. Good luck with that. They were often distrusted, though, by the other servants for that very reason. Because the other servants thought they might tattle. And they probably did tattle and get people in trouble. So, you know, their relationship with downstairs was a little bit tenuous, I think. And the valets might shave their master with one of those straight razors. Oh, my goodness. You better hope he likes you. And uh, the valet also had responsibility for travel arrangements, and he often kept sums of money on him to pay bills or um, little traveling expenses like tolls or whatever. And he could get that back from the butler, but he had a little bit of cash on him to take care of little expenses on the way. These servants were all called by their last name by the family. The chef was Monsieur, of course, if he was French, but everyone else was Mr. or Mrs. Mr. Graham, Mrs. Graham. The cook and the housekeeper were called Mrs., even if they'd never, there'd never been a Mr. anywhere. So that's good. They got the honorary Mrs. But the valets and the ladies' maids were often just called by their last names alone with no honorific. If the household was busy enough and, you know, full enough of servants, they ate separately. In fact, they had their own separate dining room. It seems like splitting hairs to me, but they were served by um, other servants. So if not, everyone was seated in one big servants' hall by their rank. Very strictly. Servants were more concerned about that than their masters almost, I think. And if they all ate together, there was also this refinement where the upper servants would literally pick their dessert up and proceed into the housekeeper's sitting room to eat their dessert to emphasize that they, in fact, were separate from the lower servants that had to stay behind and eat their sometimes lesser dessert at the main table. Does that seem silly to you? 
So let's come to the lower servants. So if you're a lower servant, be prepared to change your name, for one thing. If there's already a family member named Mary, for example, and your name's Mary, you can just forget it. They're going to call you Sarah or Emma or whatever they want to. Sometimes the family just couldn't be bothered to learn anyone's new name. You know, maybe there was a new second housemaid. Well, whatever. And so she was just called the name of their predecessor forever. (laughs) She never had her own name. So be prepared for that. In addition, if you were a servant and you went visiting and there were a lot of visitors at the same time, often you would be called simply by your mistress's name to avoid confusion. So just be prepared to lose your name. So let's start with the male side of the lower servants. Footmen, their name came from the fact that there used to be men that would literally run beside the carriage to make sure that the wheels were not going to get snapped by roots, that they weren't going to fall off the track. Literally, there used to be some poor souls that had to do that all day. So good for them. But in our era, footmen have literally nothing to do officially but look fancy. They were hired for their looks. They were hired for their height. If you were a footman that was fabulously attractive and over six feet tall, you could command almost double the wage of a poor, unfortunate, five foot eight, less favored gentleman. But matched pairs, matched pairs of footmen were considered quite lovely. They were always dressed in livery, which is a very fancy outfit, um, often chosen to express closeness to the royal family or it's a traditional color. And their livery was paid for by the master and mistress. If they were unlucky, these men worked under a butler that expected them to do things, like be in charge of the silver polishing or, or carrying in wood that might get them dirty. But usually they just had to serve at dinner and open and close doors, uh, look good on the carriage, carry heavy things like all those packages, perhaps, that Milady is shopping with as she goes down the street. It's a cushy job, don't you think? Nothing official to do but look fancy. So I'll take that one. Also, idle hands being the devil's playground, etc., footmen were notorious for handsiness. So the maid that could evade the footman was uh, in good shape. Now let's finish up the male servants with the hall boy, the lowest of the low. He literally slept in the hall. He was everyone's dog's body. Anything disagreeable and dirty always fell to him if there was a hall boy. Chamber pots, arc, shoe cleaning, shoveling coal... Their only hope for getting out of there is to get promoted to footman. Now, that's a big leap from drudgery to fanciness. I'd want to get promoted, too. Now, he'd have to be awfully presentable, though, to make that leap. So, good luck to him. Now, let's go to the lady servants. Now, infinite combinations here, depending on how the family was assembled. Did they have children? How old are they? Etc. So, in general, housemaids... These poor souls cleaned everything without modern conveniences or anything. There's no vacuums about now. They are also expected to get all their work done without any member of the house seeing it, which seems like subterfuge to me. Everybody's down to breakfast. The housemaids race up and clean everyone's bedroom and bathroom, pick up all the clothes, blah, 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 blah. But they have to be out before everyone comes up to change for the next activity. Golly. And if you encountered somebody on the steps and you were a housemaid trying to desperately clean the carpet of the main stairs with little sprinklings of tea leaves and a little brush and dustpan. I'm not making that up, by the way. You had to pretend to be invisible, basically freeze and face the wall. And your mistress was supposed to not acknowledge you because it was supposed to embarrass you to be seen as a human being. Interesting. 
So they also had to light fires while people were asleep, and they got in trouble if they woke someone up while they were lighting the fires in the morning. So these poor ladies worked from the early hours of the morning till 9 or 10 solidly. I would not doubt that they were just exhausted at the end of the day. I would not want to be a housemaid, but I tell you what, she got good meals in a clean environment and often got a small room to herself or just had to share with one person. And a lot of these girls came from the country and had to share with you know, eight or nine brothers or sisters in a very small house. So this did seem like a step up. I suppose the work was no no harder than what they would have had at home. So as horrible as it seems to us, it was a step up for them. In houses with no butler, there might be a person called a parlor maid that was chosen for her extreme good looks, and she had to be visible and answer the door, etc. Now, this would be a lower um, a lower income house that couldn't afford a butler. Men servants were seen as higher status. But she had light duties such as dusting, etc. Now, she had to stay clean. But I think this lady was probably subject to more harassment than anybody else in the house from male visitors and other employees. I'm just the the history of the parlor maid. It just seems like that's something she had to deal with. So there's light duty, but then there's that added stress. So let's talk about kitchen maids and laundry maids. Now, it's pretty obvious what each of these guys did. They did need more kitchen maids during entertaining, and often relatives of existing servants, or they would borrow them from neighbors. Um, At times, there's 20 kitchen maids bashing around down there if they've got a lot of company. Interestingly, laundry maids had a reputation for being loose women. I don't, maybe all that warm bed linen and the rolling up of sleeves in the heat made them irresistible. I don't know. So I suppose if you found out your daughter's been hired as a laundry maid, you're going to want to trot up there and give her a bit of a talking to. And poor old scullery maids. I think if you don't know too much about any other maid, you know that being a scullery maid is not a good time. Um, scullery comes from a word from 1300s French called esquilerie, which means basically dishes. And um, male scullery maids back in the day were called scullions. That also sounds very low. But a scullery maid was a person who spent most of her whole day washing dishes. Although she had to mop the kitchen floor and make sure the ovens didn't go out and, you know, maybe a little break to pluck some geese or pheasants or chickens. Woo, what a break. You know, that doesn't sound like a break to me. But this is one person who seriously never left the kitchen. They would start at 12 or 13 in in our time period, um, and she would work pre-dawn as it's her job to stoke and start the kitchen fires so that the chef can emerge and not have to mess with that. And so she was on duty till well after dinner because there could be 2,000 dishes coming through there a day. And so, you know, everyone else could kind of knock off once the guests went to bed. But until all those dishes were washed, the scullery maid was still on duty. She didn't even get to eat at the servant's table at dinner, not even the lower servant's table. She had to eat in the kitchen and keep an eye on all the food that was still cooking for the family upstairs because the servants ate before the family upstairs. It was just a different schedule. So here you are with this scullery maid downstairs. She's alone in the kitchen, and I can see either some sampling or some spitting. And I hope it's the former. Now, a little companion to our poor little scullery maid might have been the between maid, which appears in literature quite often, and I never quite understood what it was. But the fact is, the between maid is basically working for every department of the house. She might work in the nursery. She might work in the kitchen. She might work with the housemaids. And in fact, having three bosses to pull on her, I think her name means pulled between all these people. 
poor old thing. She was a low-ranking servant and kind of had to skitter about taking orders from whoever. And she was, in fact, the one that served at the lower servant's table as their waitress. Well, the scullery maid was in the kitchen watching and spitting in everyone's food. Good times. There was another person who was divided between the housekeeper and the cook, causing a little tension. Not every house had them, but this was called the still room maid. And a still room maid was in charge of bottling preserves and making cordials, both medicinal and non-medicinal. She was under the housekeeper in that, you know, she was providing supplies that the housekeeper had to account for. She was also under the cook as she dealt with food. So that was a constant tussle between the two of them. The still roommate often had responsibility for preparing the trays to go up to ladies for breakfast. So what were servants paid? Interestingly, they were paid a separate stipend for essentials. And here's what they considered essentials. Tea, sugar, washing, and beer. So a lot of times there was a separate amount given to them just for those purposes. And also keep in mind that they didn't have very many expenses. These people, all their food was paid for. There really weren't any travel expenses. So these amounts seem really low, but also keep in mind they had room and board the whole time too. Um, butlers and valets often made 12000 a year. I've converted it for modern-day money, by the way. Chefs could go as high as the market would bear, honestly. A talented French chef with the proper attitude, I hate to think what salary he could command. Cooks went down from there, and housekeepers. Footmen down from there. Maids, my goodness, maids went from 3000 a year down to the scullery maid could make about 1000 a year, which at the time, nine pounds a year. Doesn't that sound low? Nine pounds a year. But keep in mind, they had few expenses again. Um, although unfairly, livery, i.e. boy clothes, was paid for separately by the master and mistress of the house. But uniforms, i.e. girl clothes, were not. If you were a female servant, you had to buy your own uniform out of your own money. Most maids were gone by the age of 25, having married and become ineligible for employment. But some were able to climb to cook and housekeeper or even ladies' maid status. Um, having been a servant in a grand house was considered good training for um, married life. Now, there's one servant that I have left out that features in quite a few books of this time period, the governess. But I would really like to save the governess for a future podcast. She actually belongs to a different social class than the people we've been talking about. And I think she needs a little more context. And so we will leave the governess for later. Now, servanthood as an institution started to wane with the advent of the Industrial Revolution. Many of former servants, especially the young ones, would rather work in a factory and be independent than be at the beck and call of, you know, a toffee-nosed upperclassman. That's when it started to wane, and honestly, I think World War II in its entirety put the kibosh on, on this as an institution. There are still butlers and servants around. You can still find them, but it is nowhere near the generally accepted institution that it once was. Let me recommend some servant-related things for you to see. First, the classic Upstairs, Downstairs. Um, it's not available right now on Netflix streaming, but if you do have Netflix, I believe for $2 extra, you can get them to send you the DVDs. The DVDs are available on Netflix, so that's awesome. I had hoped it was streaming, but it's not. Second, please get the Manor House, or if you're in Britain, as many of you are, the 1910 House. It's the exact same, it's the exact same show, just called different things. 
modern people were set up to live as masters and servants. It is so awesome. In particular, I love the way that the little boy of the household, who was about eight or nine at the time, became so close during the process of this experiment to the servants that when something awesome happened, instead of running upstairs to tell his parents, as he would have only two months ago, he ran downstairs to the servants' hall and wanted to show all the footmen the fish he had caught. That, isn't that strange? Isn't that interesting? And And the mother... Um, who, after all, is just a modern mother, was panicking that her son, she just realized how distant she would be to her own little son had they lived in this formal time period. It's just very interesting. So do pick that up. They also have, and I'll post the link, a website with rules for servants, rules for the master and missus, the schedules of everybody's work. There's a corresponding one that doesn't have an American equivalent called the 1900 house, in which the family in question lives in the city of London, whereas Manor House is a country estate. So those two shows, highly recommend. Third of all, um, this is out of our period, but also gives you a really good picture of how the servant halls worked. Gosford Park, Robert Altman's murder mystery film, is actually shot from a servant perspective, and it'll give you a good idea of daily servant life. And I will give you a link to a wonderful Harper's Bazaar article from 1904 in which the servants whirled at a place called Harbor Hill with amazing photos and descriptions of everything. It's kind of goopy. You know how 1904 magazine, ladies' magazines wrote, but it's amazing to see the the photographs, I think, in context. It's really neat. So I will leave you with that. I hope you enjoyed this audio special feature. And Susan will definitely be back with me for the next one. See you later. Thanks for listening. For show notes and links to the things we talked about today, please visit us at thehistorychicks.com. Follow us on Twitter at thehistorychicks with with an an X. X. Or like us on Facebook without an X. If you'd like us in real life, please tell a few friends or leave a review for us on iTunes. The music in our podcast comes courtesy of Music Alley. Visit them at music.mevio.com. Baby, your house get dirty. And it needs cleaning all the time. Baby, your house get dirty. And it needs cleaning all the time. Your own house, baby, and see how much dirt you might find.